We are going to finish out our series, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. We've been doing this series for 27 Sundays. Can you believe it? I can't. Um, It's been wonderful uh, studying. Uh, Hopefully that you've enjoyed it as well. And um, uh, this morning we're actually going to read Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, then the end of Hebrews 11, 38 and 39, and we're actually turning the page to Hebrews 12 and we're reading the first three verses. So I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Again, Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, then verses 38 and 39, and then we'll turn the page and just read the first three verses of Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11, verse 1 reads, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Now down to verse 38. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. And keep reading Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Let's pray again. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time of worship through music this morning and fellowship. And now, as we worship you through your word, we pray that through your spirit you speak and illuminate the scripture for our understanding, our growth, and edification, Lord. And we just thank you. Prepare our hearts. Use me however you see fit. Whatever you want me to say, say, and whatever you don't, I don't. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory. And we're thankful. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So again, this is now the 27th Sunday that we've been working through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you may have been here the whole time, or you've caught on late, or this might be your first Sunday. You're welcome. And to jump right in with us, of course. And I titled the series, The Good, the Bad, the Ugly. As you know, as I continue to repeat, just to look at faith journey and just seeing the good that's been done, the bad that's been done, the ugly that's been done, and ultimately pointing to all the good that God has done. And along the way, um, earlier on, about three quarters of the way, I, I had stopped just to do this at the end, but along the way, I added a statement by each person that we covered. Now, each person that we covered, maybe it was one week or two weeks, I, I was really tempted to do Hezekiah in two weeks, but then I had to keep going, so... We're just closing it off. And really, I, there, there's a, a picture just of what I've written down. You can take a picture. I can email it to you if this is helpful. And again, this is just a statement I put by each person's name that stood out in their faith journey of what we covered. Now, it's very difficult to, 
to sum up someone's faith journey in a statement, a, not even a complete statement, uh, but hopefully this will just remind us of the people that we covered and be encouraged ourselves. We started off with Abel. Faith brings to God. The Enoch, faith walks with God. The Noah, faith fears God. Abraham, faith obeys God. Sarah, faith receives from God. For Isaac, it's faith submits to God. And we looked at Jacob and we saw that faith worships God. And for Joseph, faith hopes in God. And Joshua, we saw that faith is courageous in God. We have we faith responds to God and Gideon faith presents uncertainty to God. Barak faith corrects course in God. With Samson faith finds strength in God. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith is confident in God. And with David we saw that faith entrusts the heart of God. With Moses faith leads in humility in God. Then to Daniel, we saw that faith prays to God. And little Samuel, we saw faith answers the call of God. Then Jephthah, faith is used by God. And then last week, Hezekiah, faith immediately returns to God. So in each one of those statements, as you can see, it's just a portion of what faith looks like. And that I would suggest that part of our faith journey. Hopefully that's what we're seeing in our own lives. That's what we're experiencing. Perhaps there's some things on here that we wish that we would do a little bit better or maybe we haven't even considered. And that's the whole reason why the author of Hebrews is, is writing this portion of, of Hebrews 11 and 12. It really, remember, if you remember, the chapters and verses were added much, much later. It was just one big scroll after another. That's why whenever we read from Hebrews 11 and then dropped down to Hebrews 12, therefore, it's just continuation. And I'm not discrediting. It's real easy for me to say, turn to Hebrews 12 and say, turn, scroll through halfway through your scroll. Hopefully, it's the same length and we'll pick up somewhere. But as we see here, this faith journey of all these people, hopefully it's encouraging uh, with their faith journey. And as I was considering these statements, again, some of them stood out more than others to me, the ones probably that I'm working on, that the Lord's working on in me, or perhaps some of them. And to be quite frank, and I'm still not over Jephthah, I had no good idea of what to say for Jephthah. So I wrote, faith is used by God. And I, hopefully that's encouraged by you. And if you don't know the story, Jephthah, he was rotten. He did one little good thing, as far as I could tell. But that just reminds me not to be proud. That what I'm doing for the Lord and serving the Lord and serving other people, it's rags compared to ultimately what Christ had done for me and has done. And again, granted, a single statement doesn't define the characters of the Bible, and you may be thinking of your own, and if you want homework, because everyone loves homework after a Sunday, go home and write your own statements for those characters. And if you don't remember the story, go back and read it. But really, I'll tell you the heart behind the sermon series for 2023, so late 2022, I'll talk about the process. Late 2022, I was praying through what should 2023 look like, and it began with um, Psalm 23. Remember, wait, that seems like years ago, doesn't it? Psalm 23. 
And the hope there is God was just continuing to speak to me that he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is my good shepherd. And we took our time looking at that God is the good shepherd. And then the follow-up with that was, since he is the good shepherd, what does faith look like? And that is our journey. And if I could sum up the good, the bad, the ugly in just one phrase, here's my one phrase that I would say that sums it up for me. And I wrote this down, faith. Part of what faith means in our life is saying no to things in order to say yes to Jesus. Part of what faith means in our life is saying no to things in order to say yes to Jesus. The obvious is saying no to sin. Uh, Shocker, right? And we can sit down and list out sin after sin, another sin, another sin, all the sins that we need to say no to in order to say yes to Jesus. But the other one perhaps is less obvious, and I think that the author of Hebrews is stating, it's probably Paul, but who knows, but Paul will say, what's less obvious, the obvious, of course, is sin, saying no to sin. The less obvious is saying no to good things, the acceptable things, in order to say yes to Jesus. And again, that's really what this good to bad, the ugly is all about. What we've seen is these men and women, whenever they said no to something, they said yes to Jesus, yes to God in order to follow him. So, really, the focus will be on exactly what Hebrews 12 this morning states for us. Just before, before I get too far ahead, just quickly, just Hebrews 11 one through two again now for, I don't know, the 30th time that I've said this to you. But Hebrews 11, one through two says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Stop there. The reality of what we hope for is in a person, not a thing, the person of Jesus Christ. So faith shows the reality of hope that we have in Christ. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. We've not seen Christ personally as he was here on the earth. And then through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. So we're seeing this faith and what faith looks like as it's unwrapped for us. And quickly, if you just again drop down to Hebrews 11, verse 39 specifically, it closes out with this interesting part. It says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. What is it that he had promised the Messiah? All these people listed, all the people that we've read, the people of the hall of faith, if you will, they did not get to see Christ. And yet now we live in a time post-Christ, post his earthly ministry, his death and resurrection, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And yet we are still like that of people who are waiting for the promise of the return of the Messiah. So with all that great long introduction, just considering what does faith look like? So hopefully as you've been challenged, I know that I have about what does my faith look like? And specifically, what things do I have to say no to in order to say yes to Jesus And as you notice, right away, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, after this long list of people, after we were just told that they hadn't seen Christ, for God has something better in mind, therefore, and any time in the Bible, if you see therefore, that means pay attention, there's a reason for the whole long thing you just read. Therefore, 
So now, listen up, keep going, read, don't stop there. Whatever words you want to use, therefore. And then it gives a description. So this morning, there's really three things I'm going to focus on as as Paul um, describes of this faith journey as a race. And this race, actually, when we get there, when we see this word run and race, specifically the race, the race um, in, in Hebrew, or excuse me, in Greek is agonos, which actually where we get our word agony. So when we think of running this agony, and then if you apply it, this, this race that we have here on earth, our faith race, is a race of agony. All right, who wants to go run? All right, that's, what, that's what Paul is specifically saying. So the three things I want to focus on is running as weightless as you can. Run as weightless as you can. The second one is run as focused as you can. Run as focused as you can. And then run as faithfully as you can. Run as faithfully as you can. So this is just straight from the text. So we have all these cloud of witnesses. That's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the life of faith. Just stop right there in verse 1 just to explain that a little bit. Uh, the word, anytime you see this word cloud, it, it's, it just means a lot. There's so many you can't keep track of. It's interesting that throughout the centuries, people have argued whether or not these faithful people are in heaven cheering us on. You can do it. Yay. I don't think that's what that means. I don't think people are like, woo, you could do it. I think when you're in heaven, you're worshiping the Lord. I don't think you're cheering us on. Maybe you are. Maybe you're not. This is just my opinion. I won't fight you over it. Um, but specifically, when it says a huge crowd of witnesses, a witness is someone who's gone before us, that's encouraging us. Since we've seen other people run this race, we're encouraged to do it. Since now I'm a dad of a weirdo cross-country runner, <clears throat> I've learned a lot of what it means to uh, look at world record times. And be inspired by that. Not for me. <laughs> That's not 10-minute mile. Woo. All right. <clears throat> Why are you laughing? No. Um, but you're seeing this. Other people have done it before. It's inspiring to see that, that other people have ran the good race, as Paul describes it. They're witness to this. So when we are running, especially if we drop down to verse 2, getting ahead of myself, but... That's never stopped me before. Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So if we're keeping our eyes on Jesus, we're not worrying about the crowd in the stadium cheering us on. We're inspired by that. We know that they're there. Going back to uh, seeing many cross-country races and track races now, one of the, my favorite things of watching what some runners do, and they tend to be the ones in the back, is they stop and pick flowers and talk to people and cheer when they run by as other people are cheering them on. I've never seen the front pack of the people, thanks guys for cheering me on, such a focused dedication. And that's really what it is. I'm not making fun of people who come in last place very much. But you know what I mean? That, that super singular focus on Jesus. So as, as we consider this and 
run as weightless as you can. And that comes directly from the text. It says right here, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Notice it doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, if it is Paul, doesn't say strip off all the sin right off. He says strip off every weight. That word weight means extra baggage, an extra load, things that carry you down, weigh you down. The thought behind this is not necessarily sin, just the stuff that we carry, the responsibilities that we may have. Again, if we're considering what faith is, part of what faith means in our life is saying no to things in order to say yes to Jesus. Here's just some illustrations of this. When people race cars legally, uh, they try to get as light as possible with the biggest motor that they can put in there and pretty good brakes. I mean, there's more to it, transmissions, on and on and on. But you want it as light as possible. A runner, going to a runner, someone told me who, who runs a marathon that he gets a haircut the night before and he trims his fingernails and toenails specifically to be as light as possible. Whoa. <laughs> but you're stripping it down to carry the weight. Nate Saint, anyone ever heard of that name, Nate Saint? Saint? Nate Saint um, was with Jim Elliott. He was, one of the, he was the pilot for the one who flew the, the group into Ecuador. And he was the one that, that he was the pilot. He did all these different things for the missions. And, and he describes the very first thing he did when he got his plane. It was a very nice plane. People donated lots of money. And the very first thing he said he did is he took out the eight-pound seats and put in one-pound seats because there... He can have 14 extra pounds of goods. And he would describe going on, and he talked about the sleeves of the landing gear. They're real purdy, he described it, but take it off. That's an extra 11 pounds. Who needs that? And he goes on describing how he stripped down the, stripped down the plane to bare bones naked, is what he called it. Because we want to carry as much goods as we can. We don't need the extra fluff. So, if we are running this weight, this race, what weight are we carrying? What things are good in your life that aren't necessarily bad that you're carrying? That in the back of your mind, you were, you're thinking, if I didn't have this, then I would be able to serve the Lord more. Or perhaps you don't say it that way. If only this was a little bit easier. Or if I didn't have this responsibility... Now, as I go through this list, if this list is not for you, then, then apply your own list. And again, this is not bad things. This is just good things that prevent us from doing great things for the Lord. The first one that I wrote down is a focus on career. Perhaps a weight that is preventing you from running that race wholeheartedly. Being faithful is just the weight of your career. And yet, granted, everyone needs a job. The Bible is very clear about the responsibilities and, and, and being faithful and, and doing all that. But perhaps your focus on being successful, being noticed, being promoted, making the extra buck. Maybe that's a weight. 
Perhaps it's your children. No, I'm not saying get rid of your children. But perhaps you've signed up your children for too many sports activities, too many social engagements. Perhaps you said yes when deep down inside you should have said no, and you know it. Maybe it's a workout plan. Maybe it's a diet. Maybe it's a, you fill in the blank. I have a long list, but we'd be here for a long time. And those things aren't bad. Well, don't get me wrong, going back to sports. I love sports. I, I haven't talked about hockey in two whole sermons. <laughs> but you know, sometimes those good things, those things you enjoy, just are too heavy. Maybe, maybe we need to go a little more spiritual. What about the things that you worry about? You can argue whether or not you know, what worry looks like. It's faithless or faithful, and it's our human condition. But you know those things that you've given over to the Lord? You just finished praying over. You said amen. You laid it at the cross. You said amen. You opened your eyes, and you picked them back up. That kind of weight. I mean, if, if runners are cutting their hair the night before and trimming their fingernails, uh, racers are stripping down their cars to bare bones, Nate Saint is taking everything out, all the fluff of the plane. What kind of luxury, perhaps, that we have that we are saying yes to instead of saying yes to God? Perhaps maybe it's just time. Time management, time. Now, if we go back through this list of people that we mentioned, I just picked three just to, just to think about them, just probably the, the popular ones. I, I was just thinking of Noah, for example, Again, I wrote, faith fears God. What happens if Noah, when God told him to build the ark, he said, you know, I have family, God. Um, can I just do it on the weekends? No, every day he's out there. He's out there. What about Rahab, the prostitute, the spy that... That uh, whenever she knew that when she let those spies in, she said, remember me and, and, and I'll lay out the cord and when the destruction comes, you'll save me. You know what, uh, Lord, I, this, this career that I have, this family, I have so much going on for me right now. Can you just let me out of the gate? Let me not be a participant in what you're doing. Can, can I just avoid it altogether? And one more, Hezekiah from last week. Remember, he's 25 years old, just comes to, to the throne, and the very first thing that he does right away is open church back up. You know what, Lord? Let me establish my control. You know, let, my dad was a ruler for a long time. I'm coming in. I was co-heir with him and regency, excuse me, and now I'm, I'm in control. Lord, how about, how about next year I start making a change and stripping off some of those things? We would read these stories very, very differently. You know, I, I, I share part of my calling multiple times. I think this is appropriate time to do it. But, you know, the, the reason why I didn't want to go into to be a pastor or a full-time ministry is because I didn't want to be a poor pastor. I can't tell you why specifically why I thought I would be a poor pastor. I made a deal. All right, God, you know what? I'll be your man. I'll change diapers. I'll work in the children's ministry as long as I can be an engineer because I know how to do that because I grew up around cars. You know what, Lord, 
Being an engineer is not bad. I love engineers. If you're an engineer, <laughs> you're my guy or girl. But saying yes to being an engineer was actually saying no to Christ. Because I was carrying a weight. A weight that was not mine to carry. So run as weightless as you can in this journey. What is it that when you pray, when you think, if I didn't have to deal with this, and I'm not talking about like circumstances specifically or, or an ailment, just the things that you are carrying around that you wish that you could let go. What are those things? What part of your plane, if you will, that you have to strip down to the bare bones in order to say yes to God? And that's what Paul is describing here. One commentator wrote, you can run the marathon at 450 pounds, but I wouldn't recommend it. That was in 1823. And then we go on to describe, he said, you can do it. It won't be good for your knees. And he listed out. Why would we do that in our spiritual life? So as Paul is saying specifically, let's strip off every weight that slows us down. And notice that it's not, and we'll see the contrast between what sin does. Sin trips us up. The weight of things that we shouldn't carry just simply slows us down. And I think, I think that's probably why it's so hard for us to let go of things. It doesn't actually stop us in the race. It just slows us down and we get into a comfortable pace. And it may be a crawling pace, but we're not tripped up over it, at least quite yet. And then he says, especially, so don't let sin off the hook, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, it's the sin in our lives that trips us up. I describe this, the sin that makes us look at our feet when we're running. We may be carrying this weight and keeping our eyes on Jesus, but what sin tends to do is we look at our feet in shame. And that's where we trip and hang up. I don't know about you, but you notice that the sins that are not dealt with in your life have a way of lingering. And even the sins that you think that you've dealt with, every once in a while, I said a couple of weeks, it taps you on the shoulder and says, do you remember me? And when, if you are carrying tons of weight, extra responsibilities, that's why when you're exhausted, when you're overworked and you don't sleep enough and you don't eat right and you don't drink enough water and you're just totally exhausted... You, or you're bored, that's when sin enters. That's where it knocks on the door and asks if you're interested. So that's, that's what Paul here, if it is again Paul, saying the sin that so easily trips us up. That word trip is, is also described, easily trips up, is also described as a, as a root in the road. And then he goes on and he says, and let us, Run with endurance the race God has set before us. That's the next part. Run as focused as you can. So if we are going and running as weightless as you can, you can't just run. Okay, you stripped everything off as best as you can. Sometimes we pick it up. When we're reminded, put it back down. If we're doing that, we, there has to be a focus. And so run as focused as you can. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I think this is so key. I think one of the uh, problems that perhaps we face, that I've seen Christians face, is that they are told a gospel message 
that leaves out the hard part of being a Christian. For some, you hear that once you come to Jesus, your life is so much better. True. But it's not easier, necessarily. I mean, we, we prayed for Keith and Don, and um, I, I'm slightly joking here, but I'm not joking here. Uh, Keith said yes to being an elder, then him and Don went to Hawaii. I don't know, I don't know what happened. They ran away. No, but... But you say yes to, to God, and then, then there's this endurance part. That this is the part that I think sometimes is left out, that, that yes, it gets better in Christ, but that doesn't mean your life is easy. The worst thing that we can do as Christians is try to make our life as easy as possible and really not run the race. For some of us, when we're in this race, we, we, we're, we prefer to be in the stands, this came more and more to me. I, I know I'm on a cross-country kick, but I watch all these runners run, and, I, and quite literally, I thank God I'm not running. I mean, truthfully. Up that hill at Frogtown, or where, oh, God bless you all. I'm going to sit here and cheer you on. But that's sometimes how it feels like in our Christian walk. Is like, you, you guys do it. You're the pastor. You're the leader. You're the life group leader. You're the Bible study guy. You're the Bible study girl. You go do it. No, this is a charge for all of us that we're all in this race with endurance. And this endurance specifically means you continue to take the next step that God has set before us. Take the next step. A few weeks ago, I had spoke at the H Street Ministry. H Street Ministry is the one that the Cross family is a part of and once a month or twice a month, whatever it is, I go and, and I teach. And this is a, to a group of people that quite simply don't have much. They're either homeless, almost homeless. There's a lot of addictions, a lot of different things. And now that I've been there a few times, people have got comfortable with me, asking me to pray with them afterwards. And there's one guy, and I know I've told some of you this already, there's one guy that, that told me that he has been clean and sober for three weeks but he doesn't know how he's going to be clean and sober for the rest of his life. That seems so daunting to him. So I told him, well, don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about next month. Just be clean and sober right now. Just be clean and sober when you leave this place. One step at a time. Marathon runners run 26 plus miles if you're at mile three and you're worried about mile 20, you'll never make it to mile four. It just seems so impossible. And that's what this endurance is. Just take one more step at a time. Up and down. Take one more step. And the race that God has set before us, that means he knows what he's doing. He's in control and he's with us. So as we are running faithfully as we can, and we are running with a, a focus as we can, part of, of this endurance of the race, the other thing I wrote down is that the race that's laid out before you is what NIV, NIV says. New King James says, the race that is laid out in front of you. It's for you, your race. Don't try to run someone else's race. Going back to this cross-country thing, watching people run, one of the things that I heard coach after coach after coach say, run your race, run your pace, don't go out too fast. 
You know that guy is way faster at the beginning. Don't try to chase him. Run your race. Don't try to run someone else's race. A couple of things I think that means. Don't try to run a race that is not your race. Don't be jealous of other people's races. Don't be jealous that they have new shoes and you don't. Don't be jealous of their clothes or their warm-up or whatever it is. Don't, don't be jealous. Apply it. Don't be jealous of where they're at in their race. Don't, don't be envious. Saying, wow, they're so much further along or my race feels like this and their race is... As a matter of fact, they're just kind of coasting downhill. So run your race. Because the trap is, is, well, if I had their life, I would be so much better. It's a lie. It's a complete lie. That leads to adding more weight and potentially sin. Don't fall for that lie. God, God has set before the race that God has set before us, before you. He knows what he's doing. The other one, don't try to some, run someone else's race to help them out. Now, granted, I'm not saying that we can't be there for one another. I'm just simply saying, don't do it for somebody else. My first thought was, parents, you can't run your kid's race. You can't do it. You go with them, you encourage them, you discipline them, you love them, all of that. Let them run the race. Also, that means don't try to run your spouse's race for them. Well, come on, husband. Read this devotion with me. Come on, wife. Let's pray together. Or you pray on your own. You, you must do this. Come on. Dragging, encourage, be there, accountability. I'm just saying, you can't run someone else's race. What you're actually doing is trying to carry them on your back. And what a load that is to run someone else's race. So just to be clear, it's not, it's not avoiding confrontation. It's not communication. It's not any of those. It's just when you overstep the bounds and thinking you can do it better or you think they have it better. Because what he calls, going back to that sin that he's describing, especially the sin that easily trips us up. I told you that it's a root. Like the, the word description is a root in the road. It also means quite a variety of things. It easily ensnares us. It's easily avoided. It also means it's admired while it's being avoided. Isn't that interesting? You know, whenever you drive by a car accident, you tell yourself, don't look, but what do you do? Because you just got to know. It's so easily avoided if you have your eyes focused, but you admire it because you look back. And again, it's that, what I had told that one guy, one step at a time, one foot forward at a time, just continuing to move one way at a time. So, and then run as focused as you can, continuing on that focus theme in Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14 reads, Paul writes, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these th things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You see that? He's not saying, I know I'm, I'm writing this letter to you. It's going to be in the Bible someday. He doesn't say that. But not that I've, I've been there, but the person that I admire most, the person that I'm chasing after, has already completed this race, Jesus Christ. And I've not achieved it. And he said, but his singular focus, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, one step at a time, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. So run with that focus and then run as faithfully as you can. As he goes back to Hebrews 12, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse 2, we do this by keeping your eyes on Jesus. It actually, if you want to translate it, it's quite an interesting concept in the Greek here. It actually means unlooking elsewhere but forward. We do this by unlooking elsewhere but looking forward our eyes on Jesus. Now, right now, we could do a test to see if this is true or not. If I say, hey, don't look over there. Well, some of you knew what I was doing. But your tendency is like, okay, right? But if I say, hey, look over there, you're like, oh, okay, I can look there. It's, it's this un, no unlook, singular focus. So if, if the sin, we're not looking at our sin on the ground. We're not looking at all the distractions. We're not looking at the other runners running the race. We're not focusing on the huge crowd that's cheering us on. We're focusing on Christ who has already completed the race. That's why he's called the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now, Jesus' race here on earth was straight to the cross. And he knew it because of the joy awaiting him. I never look at a hardship as a joy awaiting me. Yet Christ looked at the cross as a joy awaiting him. And that joy is actually knowing each one of us by name that he is going to die for us so we could be with him. That was his race. I always imagine, and I have mentioned this before, I always imagine and read, what does the Bible not say? It does not say that Jesus on the first day of the cross said, all right, God, take me home. I'm done. Oh, so close to the finish line. So close. Yet there was joy knowing that he was dying for us. He endured the cross and disregarding its shame. And now, since he completed this race, he is now seated in a place of honor besides God's throne. Chuck Swindoll, I was listening to him, and he, he man, what a storyteller. He was telling a story about uh, when he was at the church in Fullerton in his younger years, him and his wife would used to run on a track. And uh, when he was running on, on a track, he found uh, at the junior college at the certain time, that no one was running there, so he, as he said, he wouldn't embarrass himself in front of a lot of people. And he said, but one day, there was an Olympian who was training for the decathlon who just so happened to also go to his church. So he said, I saw him run 
I come onto the course, I, uh, onto the track, I see him, I quickly turn around to run away because I do not want him to see me run. And next thing, as Chuck Swindoll says, Pastor Chuck, he said, I tried to ignore him for the entire time, but he chased me down. And he said, hey, you want to run with me? And then in Chuck Swindoll's great way of saying it, absolutely not. <laughs> so he ends up running with him, and then Swindoll continues to tell the story that, of course, he beat him on his two laps that he was doing, and then he goes on and jokes that the guy ran backwards the whole half mile. But then he, he, he talks about how... The Olympics came and went, and uh, he was talking to this guy after the Olympics, and, and uh, he said, yeah, we watched you, and it was so exciting, and, and then he said, this guy, he did not name, said, yeah, I entered the decathlon, and by the fourth round of the decathlon's 10 events, by the fourth round, I was so far behind in points, there was no way I could win. I probably couldn't even get fifth place. He said, after, after that, I got into my car and I drove home. I was done. I got dressed. I drove home. I got on the freeway and started driving. He said, then it occurred to me, what am I going to tell my children when I get home early? I got off the exit. He says, jump back into the race, put my sweaty clothes back on, and I finished the decathlon in last place. But I endured the race, he said. I completed the race. So I can go home and look at my kids and say, I did not stop the race. So as we are considering this, what this looks like is, as we run as faithfully as you can, this race that's marked out for us, even though the race is an agony and it's very difficult, do not stop running. And if you are here and in your faith journey, it, you, you hear good, bad, and ugly, and all you think it's ugly, 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 get up through Christ and take the next step forward. Nate Saint, again, as he was talking about stripping down the plane to the bare bones he also said this, when life's flight is over and we unload our cargo at the end, at, at the other end, the fellow who got rid of unnecessary weight will have the most valuable cargo to present the Lord. When life's flight is over and we unload our cargo at the other end, the fellow who got rid of unnecessary weight will have the most valuable cargo to present the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. And finally, just as we close here, Romans 5, 1 through 2 reads, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, or made righteous, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That word joyfully look forward is the same joy that Christ looked at as he looked at the cross. So wherever you are at, 
this morning on your faith journey as you've been throughout this series. Just as Romans 5 says, we have been right or righteous or justified. It's the doctrine of imputation that means that um, what God has credited Christ for doing on the cross, he has given to us. And then if you're sitting here this morning and, and, and thinking about what forgiveness is, and I've been talking to a few students lately at the youth group about forgiveness, and there's one little hang-up that, that I, I have found over and over again, and that's why I just want to close with this. The student said, I maybe don't understand forgiveness all the way, said. He said, for some reason, when I hear that I am forgiven, I hear the illustration that I am no longer in jail, is what this kid told me. He said, I'm no longer going to be executed. Granted, he's 13 years old. And then he said, but I still feel ashamed. So then I asked him, I said, so do you feel like you've left the jail cell, you're not going to be executed, that you're in your clothes, your jail clothes still? He says, that's exactly it. He said, I feel like I'm still wearing the stripes. And I said, well, they're orange suits now, but still wearing the stripes. He said, I feel, I, he said, I feel so ashamed. He said, but you're right, I'm still wearing that. He said, but I feel like I've just been left off the hook and it's not fair. And my instinct was to tell him, you're right, it's not fair. Christ paid for it. But here's the thing. Here's, the, here, here's all of this in our race and our faith. See, what Christ did on the cross is not only get us out of jail, not only um, get us off the, the noose, the execution, Whenever we receive communion, I always say it should have been us on the cross. Not only did, did Jesus take that away, not only is our sins forgiven, not only is our sins pardoned, but it's so much more than that. When we leave this jail cell that we've been in in our sin, we have brand new clothes. We are a brand new person. We're not just let off the hook. We have been credited with what Christ did on the cross. It's more than a pardon. We are given a new title. We are accredited with God's righteousness because of the goodness of Christ. So when we come out of this jail cell, when we come out of our sin, we're not that same old sinner that stumbled on our road anymore. We are forgiven and have a new identity. So I, I told the student, no, you're not in your jail clothes, stripes or orange. You are in a brand new suit and your name is changed because you are his. That's what is offered for us. That's what the series of Good, Bad, and Ugly. That's what Christ said. Because of the joy awaiting him before the cross, he endured the shame. And now he's seated in a place of honor and he's inviting us in. So wherever you are at, one theologian said, speaking of forgiveness means you may go, but speaking of justification means you may come home. So come home. Let's pray. Oh God, you're so good. Thank you for running the race so perfectly before us and that you are the example, God. Oh. Lord, will you help us strip off any weight that's unnecessary? Lord, will you help us say no to the good things that is preventing us from saying yes to you? Lord, of course, that's not 
every single thing, all good gift is from you, Lord, but let us prioritize our life in such a way that we don't carry the extra burden or weight. And especially as sin, as you say in Hebrews 12. So Lord, will you help us self-examine? Will you help us lay down the things that we've already presented to you at the cross and that we have the tendency to try to pick up? Lord, will you help us um, do away with the sin that knocks on the door or taps us on the shoulder, Lord? Lord, will you help us be confident and joyful in our own race and not someone else's race? Will you help us fix our eyes on you, unlook at the other things, but look squarely at you, Lord? And whenever we fall and stumble or come up short and skin our knees on this race, Lord, will you help pick us up and get us back on track as you're faithful to do? And again, Lord, thank you that... um, As we come out of the jail cell, as we come out of sin, that we are not in jailer clothes, prisoner's clothes, stripes or orange, Lord, that we are made new. Lord, thank you for not just forgiving our sins and, and letting us go, but thank you for calling us home. So Lord, as we uh, sing some more songs, will you just speak to us and encourage us right to our heart, Lord? Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen.